Check it out, man. There's somebody out there that's been struggling, been hurt, a victim of rape, a victim of hate, and it impacted your life so much that you don't know how to trust, you don't know how to love anybody. I want to let you know there's healing and restoration in the mighty name of Jesus. Truth teller, look. Maybe you didn't notice by the way she smiles. No one even tells all of the pain she has, but she still feels. She needs healing right in here. Hey, he was a friend of the family, so she felt like she could trust him. He did so much for the family. Like everybody loved him She felt so comfortable around him That's why she told him all her problems She even cried on his shoulders Especially man when life hit rock bottom And every time that he would hug her She never knew what was behind it But one night man he came and drug her up well, And what he do man he took her somewhere private And she remembered she was fighting Trying to get him off And she was crying yelling someone come and get him off man. But no one ever came This was the night he afflicted so much pain You see what you made me do Girl, you lucky I don't beat you he said you better shut your mouth But even if you told me, nobody's gonna believe you And then he left it to herself Time went and she kept it to herself Whole life and she questioning the cell Depression with the cell, no accepting in the cell Now the devil even laughing at you Like I was mad at you, that's why he let it happen to you Nah, I said he tries to isolate you And make you feel like everybody hates you And now you hide behind your makeup Every relationship you have, those a breakup Someday she don't wanna wake up She'd rather sleep so the pain will go away, huh? Heart shattered all the pieces Now she trying to gather all the pieces The only thing that mattered though is Jesus Forgiveness equal freedom, Lord, I'm asking you to free her Yeah, heart shattered all the pieces Now you trying to gather up the pieces But the only thing that mattered though is Jesus Forgiveness equal freedom, Lord, I'm asking you to free her Maybe you didn't notice by the way she smiles No one even tells all of the pain she she still feels feel. healing right in here Maybe you didn't notice by the way she smiles No one even tells all of the pain she has She still feels healing right in here Life could be painful so unfair Life can be painful, but so unfair You're calling out for help, man, but no one there You probably got you feeling like no one cares Tell the life can be painful, but so unfair Life can be painful, but so unfair There's only one that hears you, I promise he hears you You call her when he need, cause I promise he need you Say, life can be painful, but so unfair Life can be painful, but so unfair You're calling out for help, man, but no one there You probably got you feeling like no one cares Life can be painful, but so unfair And life can be painful, but so Look, there's only one that heals you, I promise he hears you You call it when he need, cause I promise he need you, yo We can all be impacted by our past But never allow your past to determine your future Rape is a sin, and God hates sin God hates what happened to you He knows that your heart been traumatized It says the Lord is not far from you Psalm 34, 18 says the Lord is near the brokenhearted And save those who are crushed in spirit So when these terrible events happen in your life You gotta seek spiritual healing and counsel Psalm 4, 8 says In peace I will both lie down and sleep For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety See, to be set free, you gotta forgive the offender You gotta leave revenge for God Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you Romans 12, 19 Check it out though, look You gotta exchange your old identity for the new identity in the person for Christ Philippians 3, 7, 9 Check it out Allow God to display His glory and splendor through you As you share your testimony with a world that is hurting And it needs healing as well Helping other victims will also bring you healing God has a purpose for your life You can trust Him with your tears, your inner wounds and all your fears He can be trusted, He is faithful There is healing and restoration in the blood of Jesus Christ. Welcome, welcome, welcome to an evening of conversation, transparency, and truth about domestic violence. This is a place of peace and new beginnings where healing the hurt of heartbreak begins. This is a place where we will listen to their stories, we will understand their pain, applaud their journey, and celebrate their survival. Place to Prosper podcast is about talking to men and women who have experienced domestic violence. But today, today we are going to speak with someone who has worked on the front lines of domestic violence. She is one of my daughters from another mother, Miss Margetta B., 
she has worked at a domestic violence shelter to which we will not name here today where she has had the opportunity to work one-on-one with mothers and their children to help them find their voice and to be in a better place. Margetta, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's an honor and pleasure to be here. Wonderful. I'm so glad you're here as well. Uh, Let me begin our conversation by sharing that according to fundraisingcup.org ministry, Domestic violence is a sort of abusive behavior that is done with an intimate member of a family that may be your partner, your spouse, or your girlfriend or boyfriend. It is an act of violence that is usually carried out in order to prove dominance over the victim. The behavior is strictly not triggered by any sort of anger. It is not triggered by addiction, mental-related Uh, issues. This generally occurs in order to prove who is the superior being among the cohabitated relationship. So with that explanation of what domestic violence is having been shared, Margetta, can you share with our listeners, what was your role at the domestic violence shelter where you had worked? Oh, awesome. Um, Well, first and foremost, my, uh, background history, my education history is in social work. I have my bachelor's and my master's in social work. So my journey with domestic violence actually started approximately 10 years ago. I was given the opportunity to work at the the uh, domestic violence shelter. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, I did not, you know, I did not even want to take the job. It was not in my path of life. Um, Mm -hmm. My best friend, he told me about the opportunity and I really didn't want to take it. I was like, oh, no, I want to do another field of social work. Social work is so broad. But mm-hmm. I said, well, I didn't want to block my blessing. So I was going to go to the interview. And the director, oh, my goodness, she was just amazing. She took me <laughs> under her wing. And I was really blindsided about a lot. You know, here I was, mm-hmm. 22 years old. It was my first big girl job. <laughs> and I knew <laughs> I knew about domestic violence. You know, I've seen mm-hmm. it on TV. I've had even a couple of family members to go through it. But working hands-on, it was an eye-opening experience. And it was mm-hmm. kind of like watching a movie. Like, wow, this really happens in my neighborhood. This is really happening you know, next door to me. So Mm -hmm. it really opened up my eyes as not as a young individual and professional in this field, but I was just amazed at how much I learned and grew while working there and how Mm -hmm. it really affects the woman and the family overall. It sure does. It sure does. Tell me something though. When you said you didn't want to take the job, was it that you just thought maybe working at a domestic violence shelter was not uh, like you said, kind of not under your field of study, but is it, did you have like preconceived thoughts about what working at a shelter would be like a domestic violence shelter? Or you just, it was just not your area that you wanted to go to period. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, I was like, Oh, well, you know, social work is broad. I never really thought about working with domestic violence hands-on because Mm -hmm. I really didn't thought that it was a big issue in my community. I just figured it was one of those things where, Oh, it happens here and there. I didn't realize how, frequent it happened and that it was happening to women that I grew up with like literally women like next door to me and Mm -hmm. so when I took the job and I realized like hey I'm working with females that will come to school or come to work every day with a smile on their face and they go back home to abuse so Mm -hmm. when I learned that like hey this is not tv you know this is not a play this is reality it really made me just take a step back and like wow I'm here for a purpose what can I do to help you know solve this what can I do to uplift the next female that is in this situation Absolutely. And that is so important because, you know, realistically, unless you see the scars on someone who comes to school or comes to work or the black eyes or those outward bruises, you really don't know or you may not know what they're enduring. So when you mentioned that, you know, you can see people smiling and yet they're going home to abuse. That is what happens, you know, people because it's that mask, you know, when you're Mm -hmm. in a when you're being abused, it is so important that you 
you don't want people to know. So you wear that mask, you, you know, keep that outside look when on the inside you're, you're just torn apart. And, you know, when you were saying that, I was like, okay, yeah, I remember that because as you know, I'm a 28 year survivor of domestic violence. And I remember those days of, you know, I go to work, be laughing, having a good time, just, but every day I kid you not at 3 30 PM, I got physically sick every day. Yeah. And I didn't get off to five, but it never failed at 3 30 PM. I would get physically sick, but yet on the, nobody at work knew, you know what I'm saying? Nobody knew. So yeah, there's, everybody has a story. It may not always include domestic violence, but for those who have experienced domestic violence, that they have, that's a part of their story. So wearing that mask is so important to them because a shame comes with having been abused. You know, there's right. that a shame factor. So um, it is, you know, it is great that you said, okay, I'm going to go to that interview and <laughs> I'm going to see what, what this <laughs> thing is all about. So as right. far as like um, share with us, share with me and listeners, like what a domestic violence and sexual assault advocate does at the shelter. I know at a lot of shelters, like different roles for different people, but in your, you know, from what you did, what was your um, role? I guess you can say, what did you do? Uh, uh, well, my biggest role, um, I had to do a role. I did d- the domestic violence and the sexual assault. I was the advocate for the shelter as, as well as in the community. Uh, my primary mm-hmm. role was, uh, I was the intake coordinator. So when we would get a phone call and that, a uh, mother or in her children got accepted into the shelter, I was usually the first uh, face they saw when they would come in. Okay. So I would have to do um, the paperwork, the intake, you know, who they are, why they were here. Uh, well, of course we knew they were there because they were, you know, part of a domestic violence situation. And mm-hmm. I would have to interview them if it was the first time it happened, if it was the second time. And I can honestly say about 75% of my intakes were, it was repeated abuse. It was mm-hmm. where a woman was always constantly being abused. And then she finally said, okay, I'm going to leave. And that's what we see a lot of women or a lot of people don't know that statistics show that most women, it takes them nine times, like nine times for them to actually physically leave. And so a lot of the people that would, I would do the intake, they'll say, well, yeah, this is his second or third time putting his hands on me. And I said, okay, I have to come to the shelter because I fear for my life. Mm -hmm. So the, the biggest thing, the biggest eye opener I had my first time doing an intake was I did an intake for a female that was dating a guy I used to date. And I was just, Mm. I was just, I didn't even know it was like an outer body experience because when I was dating him, he never physically abused me. But as I sat there and I analyzed our, you know, relationship, I realized that a lot of the reasons that we broke up was because he was verbally abusing me. He made me feel Mm. like no one else wanted me or I wasn't pretty enough or he was annoyed at the things I would say and do like you know, but this is the guy who says that he loves me and cares for me. So when I got out of that relationship, I, you know, I never saw or heard from him again. So two years later, here I am in this position. Mm-hmm. And as I'm doing the female's intake, she tells me his name and I literally froze in my mm. mind. I don't even know what went through my mind that day, but the fact that I was standing in front of or sitting in front of face to face, you know, my ex-boyfriend's new lover and she's here at the domestic violence shelter because he put his hands on her. He physically abused her. And now at this time, they also had a child. It was Mm. really like a wake up call, like, oh, wow, that could have been me. Our roles could have been reversed. I could have been the one in her seat signing into a domestic violence shelter. So when I saw that, it really made me just matured like okay mm-hmm, Jetta, this mm-hmm. is serious this could have been your life that he could have physically abused you if you would have stayed not even realizing that back then I was getting verbally and mentally abused by him well it's because you didn't realize that back and I'm not saying that in a in a criticizing way when we're young mm-hmm. when we're young we don't 
know these things. So, right, don't, you right. know, because I was 20, 20 years old, 2021, 20, when I was being abused. You don't know, even though you're adult chronologically, when you have not experienced those things, it's hard to identify those things. So when you, I'm sure when you were speaking with that young lady and you, I'm sure in the back of your mind, you went, wow, like, you know, and no, having known that person, because if he started out then, you know, being verbally abusive, thank goodness he wasn't physically abusive. He was just working him way up into being that physical abuser. Yes. Because it sounds like he had control issues and he was trying to control and dominate and, and, you know, tell you that you were not pretty enough because he wanted to break, break you down, break something right. down in you, um, because that's what they do. That's what people, and I have to say people, because women are abusers as well as men, although my focus is primarily always about the woman being the victim, you know, both right. can be victimized, but she unfortunately ended up with that person who ended up being the physical abuser. I can I can honestly say thank goodness she showed up there. I'm hoping that she's yes. not one of those ladies who show up and then leave the shelter and go back because statistically that happens as well. But right, can, right. yeah, but I can only imagine your shock and going, oh what? Who? And then having yes. to keep that professional look on your face and go, oh my God, you know, your heart goes out to anybody that's being abused, but then you know her abuser. So you're like what okay yes yeah it really was an eye opener yes it was an eye opener and you know being in that role I was the first you know face they would see so I had Mm -hmm. to build that rapport and trust with them like hey you're in a safe place now you know anything that you tell me you know it's between me and you uh, Mm -hmm. being the intake coordinator Um, one of my jobs was of course making sure that while they were there at the shelter we get to the healing and rebuilding process. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the women that came to the shelter, they never worked before. They didn't have a job because their abuser either, you know, tell them you you can't work or, you know, they were financially abused. Like, Oh no, I'm not going to have you out here working. So the money primarily came from their partner. So now they're in a shelter and they're on their own. You know, a lot of them, they never filled out a job application before. They don't have a resume because they don't have any experience to put on a resume. Mm -hmm. So we had to do career development. We had to do as part of their rebuilding and healing, learning how to fill out job applications, helping them with interviews. We had what they call the sister's closet where women in the community would donate uh, gently used or new clothing for job interviews. So when the uh, women in the shelter would get job interviews, they didn't have to worry about, you know, finding a nice dress or finding a nice pantsuit to go on the interview. We had it all there at the shelter. Um, so I was in charge of, you know, making sure the inventory and helping the women pick out their nice interview mm. outfits, writing oh. resumes. Um, it was very, it was never a dull day. Right. Um, along with working with the women, of course, a lot of our women in the shelter, their children came. So, of course, mm-hmm. their children in the shelter, too. Uh, my supervisor and I, we developed what we call, it was healthy relationships uh, with the children in the shelter. So we would do like group session each week and we would talk with the kids about how to identify healthy relationships, how it was to be a nice person, be kind, because that's where it starts, you right. know, not to physically hurt someone. So a lot of the kids, they really didn't understood what domestic violence was. They just knew that, hey, mommy, you know, daddy hurt mommy and now we're here. So Mm -hmm. we didn't want the children to feel like they had to go through this process alone either. Because a lot of them, you know, they're away from dad, you know, despite how dad was an abuser, the kids still love them to pieces. And so we try to help them process, you know, what was going on. And, you know, this is how it is to have a healthy relationship so you can identify what a healthy relationship is as you got older. Um, Along Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm asking a question, <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> oh, no problem. <laughs> um, outside of the shelter, I was the community advocate. So my job was to do domestic violence and sexual assault uh, presentations in the neighborhood. We partner with 
Department of Social Services. We partner with the school district. Uh, we partner with the unemployment office and where a lot of the groups would, you know, listen to our presentations as a part of their school assignment or as a part of their workforce um searches and programs. The biggest one that was ironically hard to get into or for people to embrace us was actually the churches. A lot of wow. churches, you know, they were like, oh, domestic violence. We, we don't talk about that here. But a lot of the members on the side, they would come to us and they would tell us, you know, I've been in abusive marriage for 18 years. I'm glad you're here. So it was kind of like a wow. lot of the churches were, you know, receptive of us coming in because I guess it was kind of like it was like a curse word. Like, oh, no, we don't talk domestic violence in the church. But actually, their members, a lot of them were living a double life behind closed doors. Wow. You know that now that gave me a wow moment because I, yeah. I, you know, I can really see how that could have happened, but you know, and this is nothing critical, certainly about church at all, but you know, that kind of saying that they felt like it was a bad word, domestic violence, you know, <clears throat> still people are human, you know, people that go yeah. to church are human mm -hmm. beings. We all live, we all breathe, we all get up and you know, get dressed the same way. So being within those church walls makes it not a different place and, mm -hmm. you know, not a place where they're immune from sin because as we know, everybody sins, you know. Right, right. But, but I find that so interesting that that was a place where it was difficult to get, to get that communication in there um, because who, I mean, why? I'm just, wow, that shocked me to hear that. Even though I can believe yeah. <laughs> it, you know, because I've known people as well that, you know, um, that I grew up around that were older, that were experiencing domestic violence and yet go to church every Sunday. And as right. you mentioned that, I'm thinking, wow, I never heard that even preached about, I don't think, growing up talking about domestic right. violence and everything in the church. So that's in that's really interesting. Wow. Um I love the fact that you guys were doing um, the healthy relationships with kids because one thing that um, parents sometimes think or maybe don't even really focus on too is that children are truly affected by domestic violence. Um, oh, yes. Whether, yeah, yes. They, they, hear, they hear the arguments. They hear the fighting, even though you're not in the same room uh, with them when that fighting is going on or he's doing whatever and you're in your room children can hear through the walls and so therefore mm -hmm. that trauma is being created within that child they may not see what's going on but listeners I need for you to understand you may think that your child doesn't know what's going on in the room when you're experiencing domestic violence but they do and they are therefore being traumatized by what yes. they're hearing because even though they may not physically see the abuse has taken place. The, the, their imagination is giving them a picture of what they think is going on in there. So, right, yeah, right. So I, I think that's awesome that you guys focused on that and focused on teaching them what a healthy relationship is because there's that generate. We've all heard of generational curse, and you've got mm -hmm. boys, you know, boys who may have seen their father abuse their mom and think this is what a relationship is supposed to be like and vice versa with girls who have seen their moms being abused and end up thinking, like, Oh, it's so, well, this is normal. If my boyfriend or my husband hits me, cause this is what my mom went through. So right. I think that's great that you guys were focusing on helping the children understand what's appropriate and what's not because that, you know, life is tough. You got to make a lot of decisions when you're, when you're in this world that we're living in. So trying to break that generational curse, I think is so awesome that you guys were doing that. Um, and you mentioned you did the intake as well. So like, of course, I know you don't remember who the ladies were now and we're not asking for anybody's names or anything, mm -hmm. but like when they first came in, what were like some of the things they divulged to you? I know you mentioned the young lady who um, had the child with, with someone that you knew in your past, like, but what were some of the things that they would say happened, if you can recall? Because I know this was several years back for you, but, you know, what would they say? Would they, what were some of the particulars, if you can recall any? Um, I 
definitely remember uh, a lot of the women that they would come in. It, it, it used to be a timeline. It was, oh, well, he started, you know, saying things to me a year ago. And then he started to grab me or, you know, he pushed me one time. Then it was, it was kind of like an avalanche. They would give me a timeline of how the abuse started. It was never anything that happened overnight. It was mm. always an avalanche of stuff and they would go back you know weeks or months or even years and they would tell me how the abuse started what started to trigger him to abuse and it just kept rolling and rolling um a lot of the women they would tell me that it did start off with being verbally abused mm-hmm. and every time they would tell me that it just brought back you know flashbacks of my relationship with my ex and how I remember some of the things that he would say to me mm-hmm. that their abusers were saying. So mm-hmm. it was like, wow, like I, I got out of that, you know, I got off that hill before the avalanche came, but they didn't. Yes. So they would tell me it started with being verbally abused, um, how they would start becoming controlling of their money, uh, what time they came home, uh, what time they went out. A lot of the men, you know, would go through their phones or they wouldn't let them hang out with their friends. And then it would start with things like, you know, just controlling them. Like, I don't want you to go here. I don't want you to go there. And a lot of the women, they would rebel. And that's where the physical contact would come mm, in. You know, mm-hmm. the, oh, I got shoved or he, like one of the women, they told me like, he would like mush me on the top of my head to the point where one day he physically like pushed me the mush Mm. turning to a push and the push turning to a hit it was always you know avalanche that they would tell me how it would start um a lot of the women they would come in i've had a which would break my heart i've had women to come in and their eye is still literally closed up while Mm. I'm doing their intake so here I am doing an intake with the female her eye is completely purple her eye is completely black and here Mm -hmm. I have to sit here and take this intake while she sits and cries it was it was just really like wow Jetta this is reality these Mm -hmm. beautiful women had this just it didn't happen yesterday this abuse didn't happen yesterday for them to end up here at the shelter this has been going on for months and years and weeks prior until they finally said enough was enough so it really made me realize like this is not a game. This really happens. There are really men out here who we'll see on social media or see in the streets. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, they're good looking. They're attractive. Mm-hmm. And behind, they go home and they physically abuse their their partners. And domestic violence is it's like no income li- limit. I've had yes. intakes on women who never worked a day of their life. I've had intakes on women who husbands were, you know, doctors and, and higher ups in the school district or on, you know, they were part of elite clubs here in our area. And it's like, wow, I've, I've had to interview all every color, every economic status, women who have been in a relationship for only a couple of months and women who have been married for years. It was just, all across the board. It was never a specific. Yes, most definitely. Yeah, you know, that's so important too because I I want people who may not understand everything about domestic violence to understand just that, that domestic violence does not discriminate. You know, it doesn't care about your social economic background, your race, your uh, sorority, fraternity, what college you went to, how much money you make. Um, it, it cares nothing about any of that. Domestic violence is just what it is and it affects everybody, everybody, everybody. So yeah. I completely understand. But when you, when you mentioned the avalanche, I didn't think of it as that way also, but I, I can agree because, you know, I myself like went through the verbal first with the uh, being told that um, I nobody was going to want me, nobody was going to want me with a child, uh, that I could not make it without him. Um, you know, I, I I heard all of that, and then as for talking mm-hmm. about the time 
uh, that you had to be home. I had a certain amount of time from my job to be home every day. Right. You know, there was no work over. There was no go by the store or, or go, you know, go sh- stop in Walmart and pill around for 15 minutes and then be late. Oh, no, there was a certain amount of time that I was expected to be from my job to my home. So I completely understand. And then financially as well, you know, I was the only person that worked and that person Mm -hmm. would take the money, you know, so I was allowed to work, but that person would take the money that I would make and like, just go in my purse and just take it. So, Um, you know, I wasn't prohibited from being outside of the house, but in a way I was, because even when I was outside of the house, I was in a box of control, that box of control. Um, But I never thought, you know, and I was early twenties or whatever myself, it never ever dawned on me during my journey to seek a shelter, to go to a, a domestic violence shelter, because I carried that, that shame too, that so many right. people who experience domestic violence carry. And it's, it's a heavy load, but I never once ever during my time ever looked for a domestic violence shelter. And I want our listeners who are going to, you know, click on this podcast and listen to it to understand that, there are places out there that you can go. You do not have to stay, whether you've been there for years or whether you just met this person six months ago. If you don't have a family member that you can go to to get away from this person, there are shelters in your community that if hope, prayfully they have a bed that you can call and that you can go to. And if they don't have a bed, they usually have a system set up where they can refer you to another shelter that's close but Mm -hmm. ultimately yeah ultimately you know listeners you don't want to go through and endure the things that Margetta has seen uh women come in with black eyes and and being devastated and having you know not knowing where they're gonna go just making that first step because that first step is important leaving is important to do I mean it's definitely important to do but if you're in a situation and you're experiencing domestic violence You've got to make a change because your life is worth it. So that's that's the biggest thing. Your life is absolutely worth it. Um, absolutely. Yeah, it's so important. Um, so, like, I guess you've shared with us mainly, you know, just some of the things that they've shared with you that they've come in. So um, I guess we've covered mainly that. You've also mentioned children. I want to talk about that a little bit. So, um, and, and I love that idea of the healthy relationship. I think, is that what it was called? Healthy relationships? Yes. Healthy. Yes. Healthy relationships. Um, one of the things that working with the kids, it was eye opener as well, because a lot of the kids, they would have to go to school with that burden and their teachers mm. wouldn't know their parents and guidance counselors wouldn't know. I remember one specific, uh, child I work with she you know she just told me she was was probably about eight or nine and Mm -hmm. she woke up that morning because of course while they're in a shelter the kids still are going to school Uh, you know we let them be notified that you know their address changed but the children were still going to the same school and she was like Miss Margetta I slept great last night Mm -hmm. and so I was like you know I'm glad you had a good night's rest and you know she just you know, randomly just blurted out to me. She was like, yeah, because when mommy and daddy would argue, I would I would wake up out my sleep. She was mm. literally, you know, jumping up out her sleep at night because mom and dad would be arguing. And when she came to the shelter, it was her first time in months just being able for a nine-year-old to rest peacefully at night mm. without having to wake up or not having to hear mommy and daddy argue so when she told me she was like I slept great last night it really just tug at my heart like wow how many kids go to bed or wake up hearing mommy and daddy argue or they have to wake up in the middle of the night because they're hearing mommy and daddy screaming or hitting or the police being called Mm. and that's so much unrest and and you know when you're being abused or the abuse because usually the abuser really doesn't care about all of that but it is so important that because I'm sure when she told you that she genuinely 
minute. You know, she was generally yeah. in yeah. a good place <laughs> when she woke up and said, I actually got eight hours of sleep. And I'm not making yeah. light of that, but you know, she's not at home. She's, you know, she's away from her dad, who she loves, because children love their parents regardless that, you know, whatever, you know, adult things are going on. But she actually said, she actually woke up and went, oh my goodness, you know, my nine-year-old little body actually went to sleep and stayed asleep yes. all, all night. I feel like a champion, you know, and she's away from home. She probably felt like I'm in a shelter, but I'm, you know, I'm in a good place. So yes, yes. Yeah, so that was part of my next question is, you know, how do children react to domestic violence? So as you just shared with us, one little girl was like, I'm fresh. You know, I don't woke up <laughs> good this morning. You know, really, she's like, I yes. woke up good this morning. So that's awesome. So how, how have some of the other children, you know, just basically how do children overall react to domestic violence? I've I've seen it on both ends of the spectrum. I've had kids that would come in and, you know, they will they would give me a visual picture of what they witnessed in the mm. home. They would just lay it out on the table because I guess they didn't have anyone else to talk to about mm-hmm. it. So when they would come to the shelter, they're like, you know, oh, Miss Margetta, this is what I saw. You know, dad did. This is what dad called mom yesterday. You know, this is what how he hit her. This is how, you know, what he said. So I've had the children who just really came and spilt the beans, you know, Mm. on the table, no holes bar. This told it to me like I was a member of their family. And then on the other end, I've had the kids who, and you, you know, you can't fault them. Mostly the older kids, like the teenagers, Mm -hmm. I guess they witnessed domestic violence so long with their parents. They, they were just numb to it. They would, you know, come to the shelter. They, it was hard to open up to them Mm -hmm. because, you know, they're like, well, first of all, I don't know this lady. Second of all, you know, we're in this new environment. I'm away from my bed, my home. You know, even though I lived in a chaotic home, I'm away from my comfort zone. And now I'm here, you know, with other people, with other children who are going through the same thing, but I don't want to open up. So a lot of the kids, a lot of the teenagers, you know, it was hard to get them to open up. It was never any force, never any pressure. Cause I know mm-hmm. they were older. So they saw it more than, you know, their little brother who, you know, just flat out told me, you know, what was going on in the home. So a lot of them, they were just withdrawn and you can mm-hmm. tell that they have seen and heard so much to the point where it was just another day to them of what was going on. They, it was like, it was a norm to them to come home from school and, you know, mom's abuse or, or dad is always cussing or drunk or putting their hands on mom. So a lot of them, you know, it would take them days or weeks to open up to me. And when they would finally, you know, tell me, you know, they would have journals where they were writing and say, oh, I wish I lived with another family. I wish I had the perfect mom and dad. So it, it was a burden for a child to, you know, go to high school every day and then get off the bus to chaos and wake up yeah. and have to do it all over again so the the younger ones you know they would you know they had like no no filter no (laughs) you know they would they would let me know what was going on but the older ones the teenagers they saw it so much that they were just numb to it and I guess they felt like oh if I tell you know this person what's going on it's not going to change and that's how Mm. we tried to really dig deep to let the older ones who witnessed it for so long to know that it's support for not only mom but the for them as well for the whole family to you know heal and move forward because if the Mm -hmm. child is broken and mom is broken it's, it's hard to repair yeah, that's that's true. And it is so important to be able to heal and move forward. And when you were talking about teens, I'm thinking, Lord, teens are, are a whole different category of, of age by themselves anyway. Yes. But, <laughs> but uh, with the fact, let me ask you this, though, because you talked about the healing and, um, you know, just healing and, and restoration and being able to move forward. Um, was therapy something that your shelter offered to ki- to family? Because I, I shouldn't say to kids, but to moms and 
the children? Was that something that you guys had an outside therapist come in and try to help mediate and help them talk through, you know, the teens talk through the trauma that they've seen and observed and know is happening? Is that something that's a part? Uh, yes. The ironic thing about it was uh, where our shelter was, it was literally like three like three buildings down, it was a local thera- uh, therapeutic center. So they, of course, partner with our domestic violence. So the women could either walk over, you know, to mm-hmm. uh, get therapy or the therapist would, you know, walk over to our building. So it was it was kind of like a win-win situation. They were not only, re- you know, receiving services and support in the shelter, but the therapeutic center was just a skip and a hop away. So, you know, they didn't have to worry about, finding transportation or not being able to meet their therapy appointments. And one of the things I really enjoyed is, you know, they would receive individual therapy, but they will also do group therapy with the mothers in the shelter because a lot of the mothers, they really felt like they were alone. They really thought that they were the only ones being abused or experienced it. So when they would do group therapy and they realized like, hey, there's women who look like me and who don't look like me, who's going through the exact same thing. So that really helped the mothers to open up and realize that they not only had the support of us and the therapeutic center, but that they had the support of each other as well. And that is so important. It is so important to realize that you're not alone in that because, you know, like you, you mentioned earlier, a lot of the women who don't work, who were not allowed to work, they were just in the home in those four walls by themselves. That's all they saw you know, when their abuser got home, that's all they experienced. And I'm sure it's, even though realistically, you know, when your mind is clear, you know, I can't be the only person experiencing this. But when Mm -hmm. you're in the middle of that storm, you feel like you're the only person experiencing this. Like, this doesn't happen next door. This is not what's going on across the street. But in reality, you're not the only person. And it's great that you guys were doing the uh, group therapy sessions because it is important to know somebody else even though it's not good to have experienced domestic violence it's good to know that somebody else has walked this path and look she's Mm -hmm. here and I'm here and there's other people that were here but now they're gone out of the shelter and they're in a better place with their children and they survive because survival is so important so that is so awesome. And as far as like the kids, because you mentioned talking about how the, the younger kids were just no holes barred and tell all the <laughs> business and the older kids, uh, you know, how teenagers kind of have that wall up. Like what were some what can be said to children or what did you often share with children of appropriate age about domestic violence? I mean, I know in the uh, healthy relationships, I'm sure you guys covered that violence was not and it is not okay, and that it's not their fault, and that you guys were there to listen to them. But what were some of the other things that you guys shared with just kind of loving on children and, and sharing with them about domestic violence? Uh, we, first and foremost, we used to let the little ones, you know, and the teenagers know that they were not alone. Mm-hmm. We wanted them to feel like that they could trust us. Like, hey, anything that you tell us, we're going to take seriously. There, nothing that they say would be overlooked or, you know, just undervalued. We let them mm-hmm. know like, hey, we here, we want to help you guys. A lot of the things that I would talk to them about is, uh, along with being, you know, a good person, how to speak up for themselves when they say no. Like if anyone, you know, hit them inappropriately or if anyone hurt their feelings physically or mentally, mm. how to say no or how to say, well, I don't like that. You hurt me. I don't want you to hurt me again. Mm-hmm. You know, building that I'm not going to let you physically abuse me and I'm not going to let you mentally abuse me because I'm human. So we Mm -hmm. talked about a lot of loving ourselves so that we can love the next person appropriately, you know, give hugs, give compliments, you know, be a nice person because that's where it starts. You know, don't be mean on purpose or feel like, you know, seeing someone in pain is funny. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we try to do it, you know, age appropriately where the kids can understand in a fully graphs as they got older that hey if I continue to be a good person now 
as I get older, you know, I'm not going to do those things to hurt the next person. Cause that's how abuse starts. Like a lot of people think it's funny or, you know, yes. they get a thrill out of hurting the next person. Yes. And so we would talk to the little ones, you know, about that, how to say no or how to tell the next person, hey, you're hurting me. I don't want you to hurt me because I'm not going to hurt you. And so just having that support to let them know that, hey, you know, you can talk to someone now. A lot of them, they, you know, like I said, they didn't have anyone to experience this with. And then they let them know, like, hey, you can open up to us. This is a safe place. This is a mm-hmm. sacred place. And that you have that help and that support, you know, to get through this because we know your mom is going through a lot and the children are going through a lot as well. Mm-hmm. That's so important that kids know that because what in the shelters, when, when there are programs geared, and I think all shelters probably are mandated to have programs that are geared toward helping children and having therapies and things of that, that nature. But it is so important to encourage kids to like know their worth also. You know, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, know that they don't have to experience somebody being mean to them or hurting them. And also to know that where they were and what they were seeing was not the right thing. You know, that exactly. wasn't the right. So it's so important. But um, listeners, as a domestic violence advocate, and keep in mind, of course, anybody with a voice can against domestic violence can be an advocate, but you may be in a position of speaking to children yourself, or if not, you can support the parents in breaking the silence. So let me say that again. You may be in a position of speaking to children yourself, and if not, you can support parents in breaking the silence. So start by assuming that children know more than we think they know. So we've talked about that. Margetta and I talked about that. Children hear the abuse that's happening. So talk to them about what happened and listen openly to what they have to say, as Margetta has stated that they did at their shelter uh, with their program called Healthy Relationships. And let me say that again, listen openly to what they have to say, because even though they're children, what they still have emotions, they still have feelings, they still are experiencing trauma. They've seen something that frightens them and they may have also experienced the trauma of domestic violence themselves and being hit because that happened also. So allowing them to have a voice in their trauma is so, so, so important. Yes. So important. So um, Margetta, like, what should parents tell their children about the parent who was abusive toward them? Is there anything that that you would share, be able to share with us that you guys shared as far as that was concerned or in general, it doesn't, it may not have happened at the uh, shelter because at that point women are already at the shelter. So let's say someone who um, is experiencing domestic violence right now. And of Mm -hmm. course the children are hearing what is going on. Like what could the parent that's the victim say to the child? Oh, I know it's it's probably a tough conversation because a lot of parents still feel like, you know, do I save my relationship or do I save my child? Or, you know, a lot of parents might, you know, put the relationship before the child. But mm-hmm. I really feel that if a woman is being abused, sit down with the child and ask the child, like, you know, if even if they, like you said, if they heard it, if they witnessed it, how do they feel? You know, how do they feel about, you know, what daddy did to mommy? I know it's a tough conversation. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a lot of women, you know, they would be ashamed and embarrassed that they have to have these talks with their children, but you know, the children are front row, front mm-hmm. row center, you know, seeing it and asking a child how they feel, you know, do they feel like, you know, things are falling apart? How do they feel seeing, you know, mommy being abused? How do they feel seeing, you know, daddy going in these rages, mm-hmm. you know, ask the child how they're feeling now. And I feel like if we ask the children who are going through this with us early on, how they feel a lot of women will have that strength and you know that yes. just that birth to leave even you know leave even sooner yes. sometimes as, as women we feel like we have to take everything on by ourselves but we have our children we'll say mm-hmm. oh our children comes first I'll do I'll put you know 
my children before anything. Ask your child how they feel. Because, of course, mm-hmm. every child's going to say, you know, they don't want to see mommy being abused, but they don't want to see daddy abusing mommy either. And I feel like if we have that tough conversation or realize how much it affects our kids head on first, we have more courage and realize we have more support to get ourselves out of those situations before anything worse happens to us Mm -hmm. and before it pours into our kids even more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because parents need, and a lot of times when you're the victim of abuse, it's hard to get your mindset into thinking how is this affecting my child but I agree so much with you that excuse me I agree with you so much that um just knowing how the child feels and how the child is being affected by what they see or what they hear I think will give moms that extra push because when we look outside of the physical pain and the mental pain and the emotional and financial abuse that we're experiencing and we know that our kids are being affected. Yes. That's like that light that I would, I would hope everyone would be, would ask their child, you know, if they're experiencing domestic violence, how do you feel about what's going on? Because that will like that match prayfully to get those women to get out of those situations because their child would carry that, that trauma for a lifetime, you know, prayfully yes. they won't be a victim or they won't be an abuser, but they will remember what their childhood was like and what they experienced. And, you know, I, with my child, my child was very young when I um, got out of the situation I was in and they say they don't remember the things that experienced that, that I experienced, mm-hmm. but they were very, they were really young and, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that they don't remember those things, but, you know, you just never know because they, they were young. They were like three. And right. but still some part of that trauma is still mentally in in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's so important that parents have got to realize that I may be experiencing this. But if you have a child in that situation, your child, that child is experiencing that journey also. So I think parents should definitely, you know, let the child, their children know, you know, that behavior is not okay. Violence is not okay. You know, it's It's not okay. And it's not. And a lot of times also children sometimes feel like the abuse is taking place because of of them, that it's their fault. Right. You know, they take on that position, even though, you know, they sometimes feel like, well, I didn't clean up my room right. Or I didn't, I made a bad grade at school or I, made too much noise while I was playing. And then, you know, now that child is taking responsibility for um, abuse that's taken place in the home that is not their fault. They have nothing to do with it. So having those conversations with your children when you're experiencing domestic violence, it it is important. But like you said, too, it's a tough conversation to have. You know, it is a tough conversation to have with your children. Um, But you... You just, you need to do what you need to do. You know, yes. you need to go, you need to get out um, and get away from that. So um, what would you say to someone, you know, the victim regarding sharing the trauma that they are experiencing and they have not been to a shelter yet? What could you share with us that you say to someone, some a listener, let's say someone's listening to this podcast and they're, um, they're experiencing domestic violence what would you say to them in reference to them sharing the trauma that they are experiencing? I want them to know that they're not alone. I want them to know that they do not have to be embarrassed about what they're going through and that there is resources out there. There is Mm -hmm. help out there. I don't want them to feel like they have to fight this battle by themselves just because they are right now. The biggest battle is for you to leave and revamp Mm -hmm. your life, especially if you have children. Mm -hmm. I want them to know that you have trusted women who have been through this before and that you can see them now and know that they're dominant women. They got out of the situation and they're doing well by themselves or they're doing well in a more healthy and positive relationship that we Mm -hmm. do not have to suffer just for the price of love because love you shouldn't suffer. Love you shouldn't hurt. 
Mm-hmm. I just want all the women to know that, especially if you have children, you don't want your children to go through this for the rest of the, their lives. You don't want them to, it, for it to affect them or make them feel like they're going to resent you as they get older. Because it really affects for a very, very long time. I've seen a lot of children now who don't talk to their parents or have a relationship with their parents mm-hmm. because mommy didn't walk away You know, mommy let daddy hurt her or hurt the family. So you might think that it's not going to affect your life right now. But 20 years later, you look back and and might say, oh, I wish I would have walked away. Life would have been so much better. I would have had to have a better life or better experience knowing that I got the help that I needed and that I didn't have to stay and be hurt in a relationship, that there is someone out there who's going to love me correctly, you know, no mental, no physical abuse. But Mm -hmm. I do want listeners to know that there's help out there. We have resources. We have things in our community. Um, I'm very appreciative of all the programs we have for women and children in the domestic violence field. I'm appreciative to have a shelter that continues to run. And all it takes is one phone call. That's where the bravery goes in. And after you make that one phone call, I, I promise you life gets better and you will see how well you grow and how strong you become just knowing that you walked away and you chose yourself first. Absolutely. I, 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 who can say that any better? Who can say that any better than that? And, you know, as you were talking about um, victims realizing they need to get the help that they need, you know, it, it made me think about, um, you know, back in my hometown, I think this was three weeks ago now, a young lady who was 20 years old was killed through domestic violence by her husband who was somewhere around that age, you know, 2021, somewhere, somewhere around that age. And they have a one-year-old child and he, yes, he shot and killed, shot her in the head and, and left her in the car and just got in his car and left. Um, she didn't have a chance to, to get the help that she needed. And I know that this was, Mm -hmm. I don't know these people personally, Um, but you know, what was so, I guess, made the hair stand up on the back of my neck was they, they lived in the same apartment complex that I lived in when I experienced my domestic violence. Yeah. And when I saw that, it just kind of put, sent a chill down my back because I, you know, I, I lived to get a ripe old age here. This young lady is 20 and she didn't live. You know, and and it's sad, you know, domestic violence is never going to go away. And now there's a one year old child who is never going to experience their mother. And the child may not even remember the child is one. So the child would likely not have memory memories of their mom, you know, and then their daddy's going to prison for however long that's going to be. And, you know, a child is left parentless and this young lady this could not have been the first incidence of domestic violence it just couldn't have been but she never had an opportunity to get the help that she needed and obviously she needed help because her situation ended in death you know from a person who told her that he loved her and whatever all else he may have told her she's not able to be here today to get the help that she needs to you know, reach out in the community and get the resources that are in the community available to her or to leave and go with family members where she can be safe. She's mm-hmm. lost all of that opportunity, all of that opportunity. So, um, but how can we get the community involved, Marjetta? Um, You know, how can we get the community involved in trying to help with this thing called domestic violence? Uh, one of the biggest things that we as an advocate that I did was getting the word out. And when you hear about it, be a support to your community's resources, be a support to your local domestic violence shelter, call and donate donate anything. We used to Mm -hmm. always take donations for toiletries, clothing, diapers, anything, volunteer, even if you only can volunteer one hour a week or maybe just even one hour a month, volunteer at the shelter, whether it's helping a mom fill out a job application or helping a mom revamp her resume or talking to the kids, you know, Mm -hmm. during group session, 
volunteer, but most importantly, definitely our biggest thing was donating to the shelter. Because a lot of women, they literally come to the shelter with the clothes on their back. They have newborns who don't have milk or diapers because they escape their home in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. Donate, um, become a member to your local domestic violence shelter. I know we had a program where you know, if you pay like a membership, you know, you get recognized in our newsletter as being a support to domestic violence. Uh, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Yes, I know we usually have um, before COVID, of course, uh, we would have a participation in the domestic violence walks. If you hear about a walk or an event or a dinner or a fundraiser that helps to support and, you know, promote domestic violence, um, to get rid of domestic violence or Mm -hmm. to make it aware in our communities, you know, participate in the walks, participate in the dinners, um, you know, if you see a flyer, pass the word. If you see a group where they're having a panel, go attend the panel, ask to be on the panel, especially if, you know, you have a story to tell. So definitely get involved in your community. Um, contact your local domestic violence shelter. And just ask them what they need. I promise whether they need something physical or if they just need your mental or moral support, it will be greatly appreciated. But definitely take advantage of the resources in your community community by donating, volunteering, and being a part of the the fight against domestic violence and to educate the next person on it because you never know who you walk past each day and whether Mm -hmm. they were a survivor to it or someone who, you know, you guys can work together to make it known in your community. Absolutely, because spreading awareness and education about the issue of domestic violence is so 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 important and I have a couple that I want to add to and share as well is for one supporting legislation that offers greater protection and assistance to victims and increase accountability for those abusive partners I think it's such a big way that we in the community can help and then also like you said donating you know donate to the cause anything helps you know whether it's a big donation or a little bitty tiny small donation it really doesn't matter what you give. It is so, so, so important. And then I think also when someone shares with you that they are in an abusive situation, be there for it, for them. Be there for them and be the shoulder for them, the crown and be a voice for them mm-hmm. while they're in their weakest moments. You know, that is so, so, so important. You know, a part of um, Place to Prosper podcast, a part of what I'm, This is my vision also, but another part of my vision is to open a domestic violence shelter here in my community. And there's, there's already one here, but it's in another County, you know, not far away, but it's in a totally different County. But my vision is to open a domestic violence shelter here. And all those things that you mentioned, you know, volunteering your time, um, you know, um, helping get the word out in the community is so big and Mm -hmm. also donating because, my um, domestic violence shelter is called Place to Prosper Incorporated, and it's a place of peace and new beginnings. And it's, you know, it's actually a 501c3, so it's already approved. So, listeners, awesome. <laughs> yes, already approved, tax deductible. So, listeners, if you want to donate to the cause, please do because we're actually in a position now where we're looking for. No, I shouldn't say that. I've already found a location. And I've been praying, awesome. I've been praying over it, but I need a lot of money <laughs> to buy the place. Let's just, let's just oh, call it what definitely. it is. Every time I go past <laughs> it, I go, they go my shelter, they go my rehome. That's <laughs> that belongs to me, you know, because we're going to touch some lives and we're going to save some people in our community. So, you know, it is already an approved 501c3. So ladies, I mean, ladies, listeners, if anyone wants to donate, please do so. I do have a website and I'll put it in the um, description of this podcast, but it's www.placetoprosper.org. So if God lays it on your heart to donate toward the shelter, please do so. Your donations are tax deductible. And that is not a shameless plug. I'm definitely, I'm going to speak what I need. So that's what we (laughs) need. Exactly. That's right. I'm not ashamed. I'm I'm not ashamed to ask because what I want to do is you know, I know the journey of what women are going through who are, 
experiencing domestic violence because I, I have physically been there and done that. But my ultimate goal is I want to save lives. And if I can save one life, thank you, God. If I could save two, thank you, God. Mm-hmm. If I could save three, you know, so I'm just going to claim it and, and pridefully move forward um, in that in that place. But um, so lastly, Margetta, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listening audience about audience about the experiences of women and children who have sought refuge in a place of safety? Is there any last parting words that you want to share with us about the subject? Um, I want to let listeners know that if you're on the fence or, you know, you have second thoughts about walking away, don't think any further. Take that step. I promise that, you know, life, you have that support to change life around and that you will get back into a better place. You know, be an advocate. If you've been through it before, educate and advocate for it. You never know what the next person is going through with it and that we're not alone. We're in this fight together. And I just want to say that just just be that voice. Just be that person that can uplift the next woman because you just never know uplift the next child because you never know and that you have that support and for most part lastly love should never hurt it should never never hurt absolutely absolutely margetta as always thank you for your continued support in your daughterhood and thank you oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for the knowledge that you shared with us today because prayfully we've given someone the courage uh, to know that there is a way out and there is a way of living in peace yes yes absolutely and listeners the number for the domestic violence hotline is 1-800-799-7233 again it's the national domestic violence hotline it is 1-800- 799-7233. If you need the number or you're experiencing domestic violence, please do not hesitate to use it. Please save your life, save the lives of your children. And as always, thank you all for joining us for an evening of life in a domestic violence shelter. Until next time. Feel, feel, she